Welcome to episode 140 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer, joined this week again by Ryan Topp, Brad Ford, and Paul Noonan. We are sponsored this week by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know their great beers like the flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. The next time you're in Madison, stop by the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on the east side. You can also get a discount on some Carbon 4 merch just by listening to this podcast. Go to Carbon4.com and use our promo code MKE Tailgate when you check out. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support our podcast network at patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. You'll also get Paul's reporting as eligible Packers mini pods. And don't forget, patrons also get question priority here on the program, and you get a personal shout out when you do sign up. So another week, another, I guess, uh, eye on the talks to bring the game back but first we've got some like glimmer of hope i suppose some actual baseball things going on adam mckelvey reported over the weekend that the brewers are actually opening up their arizona facility for individualized workouts for the guys who actually already live in the phoenix area uh that would include keston hira josh Hader, corbin burns a few other those guys that facility has actually been shut down for a good two months now since about march 12th i think is when they packed up and sent everybody home so they're going to open up in accordance with those local and CDC guidelines and regulations. But it sounds like at least, you know, we're kind of in that, I suppose, if you're thinking in real terms, like that winter phase, you know, when guys go in for individual workouts and stuff like that. So I guess just starting with that, Ryan, is it good to see kind of some of these guys getting back to doing baseball things instead of just sitting at home? Yeah, I mean, this is the pattern that we've seen play out. I've been watching, you know, the how the German League came back in in soccer and now the premier league these are the steps that that these leagues have gone through where the first thing they do is they start bringing players kind of individually back and small groups socially distanced keeping them apart and and all of that sort of stuff the next big thing that'll have to start happening is they need to start getting testing so that's we're already on like phase two of the english premier league they're they're in their second round of testing and so those things will need to happen and so they'll, they'll need to start like setting baselines and understanding like the players or staffers who are sick will be quarantined off and people will start to, to work their way back in. The question is going to be, where are they going to do spring training to, which is, I guess what they're calling it now is the second right. bit of spring training. I know that a lot of people are saying they're just going to do it in their home markets. They're not going to go back to Arizona or whatever, just to avoid that travel and all that. But players are scattered all over the place, and they're going to have to travel from someplace to someplace regardless. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly how they work all this out. And I suspect we're going to get more detail on that this week because this week seems to be shaping up to be a big, big week in terms of what's going to happen. Uh, And we'll get to that in a little bit, kind of on the negotiations to return. But the idea of players starting to come back kind of leads us to our first uh, Patreon question from Jay Google. Uh, he's asking if the season goes as planned and spring training is only about three weeks. I think the timeline now is to start in mid-June. How much would that affect the pitchers? Normally they have six weeks with coaches in a real spring training. Now they only have three. I guess, Brad, from like a player development or getting ready perspective, do you think that's enough time? From everything I've heard from players themselves is they're very aware of what they need to do in order to be ready for the season. So a lot of them have been continuing throwing programs, continuing to work on the 
personal barriers that they need to kind of get through for them to be ready for the season, whatever that looks like. It's different for a lot of players. So they're, they know what they need to do to get to that ready. It's more of, I've always seen spring training as more of a formality. So teams could get early work on some of the issues that they see mechanically or going through some of the strategic ways they want pitchers to work that season. They've already gotten a lot of that intel. They've already gotten a lot of that preparation from spring training 1.0. So now you're looking at a situation where they just need to be physically ready. And a lot of these guys have had three or four spring trainings. They know exactly what goes into that. So I I don't think it will affect them as much. We might see week one, a few pitchers with uh, tighter inning limits, especially when it comes to starters going past the fifth inning. But that's not really changing anything for Milwaukee Brewers fans, yeah, anyways. Indeed. So they're, they're well uh, equipped to deal with this, right? I, I don't, I don't really think it's going to be anything significant. Maybe you see like a week where starting pitchers really aren't allowed to go long into games, but that's about it. And with the expanded rosters that have been proposed, I don't think that's too bad of a situation to be in. Yeah, I mean, it probably just depends on the pitcher a little bit, too. I, I think a lot of guys are going to do the proper prep work they need to in whatever facilities they have set up for themselves, you know, like Joe Kelly breaking his window. Um, <laughs> and it, so some guys, you know, not everybody has the, that available to them where they live. I mean, not not every baseball player is a millionaire who can just set up a pitching thing in his backyard. Um, so th- there probably will be, you know, some guys who make the team who need a little bit more work to get going. But generally speaking, uh, you know, we've all adjusted to uh, people who can have the luxury from working from home. People seem to have adjusted actually pretty well to it for the most part. And I, I don't think that baseball players are that much different. Um, they, you know, they still work out. They understand this isn't the 80s. Everybody understands this is a full time job year round. Everybody has their own exercise facilities. Everybody has their own, you know, preparation routines. And for the most part, I think everybody will be in pretty good shape. Uh, but to note with the not everyone has the proper equipment just available to them, yeah. as Ryan and I learned, the players are being pretty resourceful in terms of getting well, they into are. It, it, I um, was going to mention that you guys talked with JP Fireeyes and yeah. uh, we had that last week in the pod. So if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that episode. You should but listen you, to it. It, it was uh, so uh, I am I am someone who does not actually like interviews on podcasts a lot of the time. However, this one is very good. Partially, it is just the. The nice, comforting, homegrown accent that uh, <laughs> I missed being in Minnesota because, man, does he have a Wisconsin one. Oh, is, yeah. I'm oh, going to yeah. use it. Uh, I'm going to use JP's accent as an example of what the Wisconsin accent is when people ask me about it going forward. But it, it was very insightful. And um, I thought he, he gave a lot of like just really, uh, I don't know, thoughtful answers on questions um, more so than you would normally get out of any kind of professional athlete at any level. Yeah. Right, like Ryan, Ryan and Brad, you guys were talking to him, and he, what was he saying, Ryan, like he was getting towel drill, the old-fashioned towel drills to do from Chris Hook and that kind of thing? Yep, yeah, that those were some of the things that had been suggested to them, and I, I was going to mention before, Doug Brocale was on Buster Olney's podcast this week on ESPN, and he is a pitching coach and mentioned that his guys are pretty much at full readiness. His starters are stretched out. Like, they're ready to go. Huh. They're not... Mm-hmm. They're not in in bad shape that way. And I think we have to remember that the reason spring training is so long is mostly because the teams want to make that money off of those exhibition games and because they can slowly ramp guys up. And it used to be, like Paul was saying, that guys needed that time to legitimately get in shape. That's not really the case anymore. They could be a lot shorter. Spring training could be a lot shorter. 
but there's just you know no financial reason for it. So guys are going to come in really, really ready already to go. And yes, there will be certain guys who have to be backed off of or whatever because maybe picked up some injury or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I mean, they were already well into spring training when things got shut down. So a lot of that stuff was already being taken care of and was being monitored. So I think they can actually probably get started quicker than, you know, a couple weeks. And I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Uh, And I think the thing is, when you follow a lot of athletes on Instagram, which I do, because it tends to give away when uh, minor leaguers might be uh, traveling away from the team. It's a very good way to notice call-ups ahead of time. Uh, So I follow a decent chunk of the athletes on Instagram, and all their stories right now are just them, you know, taking live swings in cages, working against batters. Like, even the ones with, even the minor leaguers are still getting, maintaining the strength that they built up because all they've been in is maintenance mode from being where they were in February and March. And I think the other thing is it's important for some people who don't have the resources for spring training because it's also hard for certain people in certain areas of the country to be able to get outside and throw. Whereas spring training is your, hey, we're going to get you into a controlled climate. You can come here. But we've been in the warmer months for a while now, and we don't really have the barriers that December and January present to staying athletically fit. Yeah, and spring training yeah. really is, it is kind of more an economic boon to baseball than it is really real training. Like if you just contrast it with the NFL where every game gives you huge risk of additional injury and they want to get rid of, you know, preseason games as much as possible. ML, MLB spring training is like easy peasy. You can take guys out at any point to prevent injury. Uh, you don't have to pay people either as much or anything. Like baseball gets free games to put on the air. They get um, attendance, they get gates, they get concessions they get all the stuff they get in regular season at like a fraction of the cost so i'm guessing if major league baseball had their choice in in secret back-end rooms they would extend spring training as long as humanly possible and have people go in all the time to it um you know within reason diminishing returns being what they are but yeah in terms of getting people ready it's uh you know it, it's useful for that but it's it's more just a great cash influx for the for baseball than anything else Especially in Arizona, where basically from February to March becomes baseball Disney World. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it's just its own big old big thing. Like it's, I'm, it's not like the NCAA tournament because it's not that important. It's more just a fun party. But you know, it, there's a culture around it. There's a huge tourist destination there that you can just go and catch a game, and like it just turns into its own big two month party, which is you know it's cool, but it also is a big financial boon that. Uh, people probably don't talk about enough for the real reasons it exists. Are you saying there's a reason a team would spend $25 million on a superstructure for their team in that area? <laughs> I, I am saying that. Or and demanding uh, that the local municipality do it. Right. Well, speaking of those secret back boardroom meetings, and uh, it's probably actually a good thing that the players are mostly ready to go because those negotiations between the players union and the league are still ongoing. And it sounds like they might come down to a wire. Uh, There's no formal deadline, so to speak, but I think everybody kind of recognizes that if if this current timeline of getting ready for opening day by 4th of July weekend is going to happen, you know, spring training needs to be in the middle of June, which realistically kind of puts us at like a June 1st-ish deadline to kind of get things going and get players assembled. So the latest on that is uh, the league will actually make their formal economic proposal to the players 
this upcoming week after the Memorial Day weekend on Tuesday. We've talked about that kind of first draft proposal extensively over the last couple of weeks, whether it was the 50-50 revenue split, which apparently may not necessarily be in the proposal. We don't know exactly what will be in it until they get together on Tuesday, but sort of to what Ryan was referencing earlier, this is going to be the make or break week, basically, that we find out whether or not we're going to get baseball. Yep. And in the meantime, the players did kind of respond to the health proposal that the league put forth the other week. Sounds like they want not necessarily changes, but more clarification on things. They are asking, though, we we were talking and joking about the old major league, uh, poor ice buckets and for, for the saunas and stuff like that. The players are kind of insisting that they kind of get those pre and post game therapies in. But how you do that safely is is kind of still up in the air. Mm-hmm. So with all these negotiations going on, we don't really know what's on the economic proposal, but we have talked about it quite extensively. Uh, we did go to Twitter question kind of on this, and it's kind of a subject we've kind of danced around the last couple of weeks. But Matt is asking, what's more likely at this point, baseball in 2020 or no baseball in 2021? Let's go to Paul, our uh, resident labor expert here. It's a- I think kind of a close call, actually, because I do think there's a good chance the players will not give in on the economic part of the 2020 version. This is tough. <laughs> it's like 50-50. So here's the thing. If they if they don't agree to 2020, um, if, if 2020 gets scrapped, I think it hugely increases the chances that 2021 gets scrapped. But there's still a chance 2021 gets scrapped even with, if 2020 goes on. So I guess the answer is probably 2021. Because I think it's like 100% if 2020 doesn't happen and you know less than that if, it, if it, 2020 does go on. So um, I guess it's more likely there's baseball this year, I, I would say. <laughs> but um, it, it's a close call for all the reasons you heard about. It, like, well, I, I, was, I was catching up on Effectively Wild this, this week. Uh, I think it was Meg mentioned that um, they got a quote from Tom Glavin, who was kind of the face of the Players Association uh, during the last strike. And he, mm-hmm. he, he, was, he was like, uh, th- his big quotes were, I thought if I could get a lot of FaceTime and, you know, five minutes on shows to explain our position that I could convert everybody to being on the player side on this. But he's told now he's turned around and he's like, you just can't. It's impossible. Most of the fans will never be on the player side because you're the millionaires making money um, and they no, people just don't think about the owners. So he actually recommends not having a big public face of this. I mean, you still might want to see if you can get Trevor Bauer and other people to be quiet, but um, <laughs> like it's, so. a good, it's a good point. There's a bunch of fans yeah. you can't ever convince. And the thing that made me realize is like, maybe, maybe the best thing for the players to do is just not care about being the bad guys here. Because ultimately if you strike, whether you're locked out, you want the owners to hurt and yeah, people might not like you for it, but uh, it damages the game if people don't like you for it as well. So um, maybe that's just the smart thing to do, but uh, I do think it's more likely we'll have baseball this year than next, but uh, it's it's pretty tenuous right now. Like the players have been pretty outspoken about not giving in on economics, and right, it'll be very interesting to see if the owners see that message and come back with anything a little more generous, or if they stick to their guns. If they stick to their guns, I think they're dead, and I think that's very possible. Well, they may have overplayed their hand here because initially my read was, and what they were saying was that from the owner's perspective, they're better off, by and large, not playing a season at all under the March deal than they would be to agreeing to play under that March deal. Like, they're better off not even playing a season 
is was the initial talk and apparently that isn't true i can't i'm sorry i can't i can't cite where i heard this this week but it it came up that there's rumblings now from within ownership that like they really do need a season they need that to happen because they need they, the tv money right yeah. they need to get that tv money because it's their main potential source of income at this point for this yeah. season so they they really do apparently need a season some teams really desperately need a season and so the baseball players union has always done best when ownership was divided and when there was you know big market versus small market concerns and things like that and if that can be the case here i think that could be a potential way that the things break through where if the owners are somewhat divided that the players could get they're still going to have to give on some stuff. They're going to they're not going to get exactly that March deal, but they probably can get something at least that doesn't fundamentally alter the structure like this 50-50 split idea. Like they can right. they could say we will not accept that, but we can be flexible on some other ideas here. We can we can be we can work with you on some other things. I just I don't think they're going to give on that and they shouldn't. They shouldn't give on fundamentally altering the structure of the game and going to some, you know, sort of salary cap. That just shouldn't happen. And I wonder what would happen if 2020 if the negotiations for the CBA that expires in 2021 weren't so significantly hinged on the economics already. We're reaching a culmination of an argument that has been going on for a couple seasons now as free agency has been kind of disgusting from a player standpoint as it has been in a significant time basically since free agency was created with the manipulation that we're currently seeing from front offices and pretty substantial evidence of collusion based on what players have been saying in their market or like in their seasons for free agency so you're looking at when paul says if 2020 doesn't happen it's going to be be due to the economic fight that they're going through right now and based on that already being the stress point for the cba it sure seems like we're going to deal with a work stoppage in 2021 because of that whether it's mid-season or right away i think we'll get some baseball in 2021 as everyone pretends that there's a normal but as that as it continues to boil something that's been boiling for years already to this point as it continues to stress and overfill the pot, we're going to get to a breaking point and we're going to deal with one of the few CBA strikes that happens before the CBA is actually up because players have been getting screwed out of money for some time now. Yeah, I mean, it, people don't realize that, but in 94, the, the CBA had actually expired. They played that entire 94 season without a new CBA. And right. they finally shut it down and said, OK, we're we were willing to go along with this so far, but we're not doing it now. And they gave up at that point because I think it expired in December the year before. Correct. I Going back to the actual question, because I realized I didn't answer it. I, I do think it's more <laughs> likely that we'll see baseball in 2020 than we won't see it in 2021. I, I think that the incentives are too aligned at this point for there to be baseball in 2020 and so I, you know, I think that the idea of not having baseball in 2021, the only way I could see that being possible is, like you said, if there's an actual labor stoppage and a shutdown and we'll we'll see how that gets sorted out. This is all very we're we're in such weird times for so many reasons. It's just 
we kind of are going to have to kind of stay away. But I think that it is more likely than not that we get baseball in 2020 anyway at this point. So the labor strife really started in the offseason 2016. And what happened before that offseason? The Cubs won the World Series. And since <laughs> then, everything has fallen apart. <laughs> There's plenty of proof that the world has just crumbled since the Cubs won the World Series. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll just add that to the list. Yeah, I think, you know, part of the questions on, on you know, this question specifically, I think it's it's kind of rooted in the fact that to this point, it seems like both sides have kind of tried to negotiate both deals at the same time both the returning this year deal and the next CBA is putting a lot on everybody's plates. And, you know, everybody's worried that giving now will lead to more concessions down the road. And, you know, before we started recording here, I was, I was reading Jeff Passon's 20 questions column on this and it kind of delves into the whole negotiations and, and what happens next. And, um, a point he was making was basically baseball coming back depends on, cooler heads and clarity prevailing realizing that logistically like 18 months without baseball is probably the worst possible outcome and somebody mm -hmm. needs to come to their senses before that happens whether that's this week or as we get closer to june which i guess at this point would be this week right <laughs> um, <laughs> yes so indeed what, what 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 month is it i don't know so i think the point he was making is basically that somebody's going to have to come to their senses and realize that a give and take now for the betterment of the game is not necessarily going to totally screw you over in the long-term negotiations, but there's just been, there's literally decades of mistrust between these two sides. So it's hard at this point for somebody to say, Hey, let's just get this done. We each take our blows and move on. Well, and there's been recent escalation of mistrust as Brad was talking about because of the free agent market, not so much this right. last off season, but the previous two off seasons being so screwy compared to what the norm had been. And mm -hmm. the players were getting geared up for a fight. And like the union was getting geared up for a fight. They hired a seasoned labor negotiator, uh, Bruce Meyer, I think is the guy's name, to come in and be their uh, fighter for this negotiation to augment Tony Clark, who, let's be honest, like got pretty outmatched in the last CBA negotiations pretty badly. No, no those that was definitely fair for the players. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing is we're looking at as as much as we crap on Rob Manfred, there's a reason he does what he does. And he's trying to mm -hmm. set the precedent for what's expected to be a pretty long career as baseball commissioner. He's relatively young in terms of that executive standpoint goes. He's probably expecting to get a couple decades yet out of what he's going through. So he's trying to set a precedent for future labor negotiations in terms of what he's going to let slide. Rob Manfred is so frustrating because he's the voice and puppet of the owners. And he needs in his mind to set a strong precedent for how these negotiations are going to go in the future that represent the owner that represent him in an authoritative standpoint while putting his mark on the product and still being able to have a firm representation of what the owners truly want. So you're also dealing with that political play on top of all the stress that is, it's a, it's a superstorm. Yeah. And there is a precedent for a small cadre of unhappy owners ousting a commissioner 
who was otherwise doing a pretty decent job. And like the, the Bud Selig precedent is because uh, was it Jerry Reinsdorf was really the, the mover and shaker of that in pushing Faye Vincent out the door and putting mm-hmm. Selig in his yeah. place. Like there is precedent for this. And Madford knows that like, it doesn't take that many owners being unhappy nope. with you for the whole thing to really come crumbling, even though he wasn't actually in the organization at that point. He he knows enough of the history. He's been there long enough. I mean, he, yeah, he he was Selig's right hand man for a long time. He he was mm-hmm. the negotiator in all of these previous deals. Right, so he knows what he's doing when it comes to these negotiations, and he has built up a lot of goodwill among the owners because of that. But at the same time, uh, you know, the whims of a billionaire you cost him a buck, and suddenly that all goes out the window, right? So it'll be kind of interesting to see as we get into this week where it's kind of make or break with these negotiations. Mm -hmm. A lot of owners are still claiming that they're going through a lot of financial hardships right now. Uh, Part of that meeting this week is that the owners are supposedly going to release some information to the Players Association on just how bad their finances are. Uh, We'll see what comes of that. But in the meantime, some organizations are starting to uh, announce furloughs for employees. Others are saying, well, keep paying you for the next month. The, the Brewers actually were one of the first teams to go above and beyond that, saying, telling all their baseball operations employees that they're not going to furlough anybody this year. They're going to keep paying them through October, which is really good to see. Uh, I know the Phillies, Giants, Blue Jays are some of the other teams kind of making that pledge. So it, it it's good to see and fundamentally, I guess, the right thing to do. Right, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I wish that they wouldn't get quite so much praise as they do for it, because this is really like the bare minimum for an organization that is as profitable as Major League Baseball to take care of their employees like this is just like the basic bare minimum that I would expect from them. So I I it is the right thing to do and it is positive because there are organizations we're going to get to in a minute that aren't doing it, but <laughs> it's still it's like praising somebody for something that they should be doing anyway. And that kind of leaves me feeling a little bit hollow about the whole thing. I'm actually okay with the praise because it's become, I feel like, more rare in our current era across the board. So maybe if we give some owners a little pat on the back for doing the right thing, just more people will do the right thing. I I think, unfortunately, we're in a time where the thing that's expected to happen is the bad thing. <laughs> well the, the thing that's expected when people need to be taken care of is is no longer seen as the easy route and it's no longer seen as the like 100 sure thing and i mean that was not, i shouldn't even act like that was ever the point because i mean we've there's decades of historic labor strike to go along <laughs> with that but when you get down to it it is, even though it's the right thing to do and it's the morally responsible thing to do, that's still not always the way any business goes. So maybe a little bit of celebration and businesses realizing they can get positive plus or press out of it. If the sacrifice is to celebrate them and give them a treat every time they do the bare minimum and it eventually gets them to do more, maybe that's a good outcome. I. I think people are so rare to laud them for when they need to be kind of reprimanded for the things they've done and hold them responsible for the negatives that we should also celebrate them for when they do the right thing, even if it's what they just should be doing as other human beings when you get down to it. 
I think we should praise them um, and criticize strongly the other teams that aren't doing it because the teams that are doing the right thing can't criticize the teams that aren't doing it because they collude together and are um, a sort of evil entity together. In in normal business, if you had a bunch of competitors and one was like doing the cool down-home American thing of keeping all their employees well-kept, they could run commercials about it and say, look at these jerks out in Los Angeles who aren't doing anything, please patronize us. But since they operate as a unit, they can't do that. So we should do it for them and we should... We should praise the Brewers for this. This is what should be happening. And PR is big for baseball teams. Like one of the reasons to do this is your community bond and not looking like jerks within it. Uh, one of the one of the things I think is kind of telling about this is is to jump ahead a little bit. Like the Angels are doing a poor job on this. I don't think they have very good community ties. They change where they're from every four years, just randomly <laughs> trying to appeal to new people. Um, the California so Angels of Los Angeles. Yes, there's not a like. There's not a big PR reason for the Angels to like be good to their community uh they're just plopped down in a place that has a bunch of people kind of and uh that's sort of how that goes but the brewers uh, on the other hand do have to do some of these appeals and have good pr and that this is a result of that so we should make sure that those incentives stay in place so that in the areas that are smaller communities they continue to do things like this and are rewarded for it I always come down to the speculation with the brewers continuing to pay their employees. They immediately put out and we're cutting executives uh, like salaries. But I always wonder what that is. Like, are you getting less stipend for like your suits because of the expected formal wear of an executive? Like it, I wonder if it is actually ever significant or if it's like, and we're taking $500 out, but now we're going to tell you this is how we're making money for it when really it's the bare minimum <laughs> that we could ever take out of the situation or we're cutting back on bonuses they get that is an expectation of their work agreement but isn't actually in fact her impacting their day-to-day -day income well let's recognize too that this is a pr thing headed into a negotiation they are this is this looks good for baseball to say hey our executives are taking pay cuts the players should too like there is that there's the there's, cynicism yeah. there's that subtext <laughs> there's the subtext going on there too that's definitely part of this and you in the meantime you have was it the the cardinals owner buying uh Ava Longoria's mansion the other week. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you probably shouldn't be crying poor as a unit when you're <laughs> out there, you know, buying mansions. Like it's that just, you know, it, it really rings hollow. And for, it is funny that like they can point to what Artie Moreno is doing and cutting back on, on people to, as evidence that they're hurting. And that's, that's twisted too. Like, we don't know exactly how bad the angels are hurting if they need to do this at all, but they can point right. to that and people will point to that and say, Hey, look, the, the baseball organizations are having trouble and they're struggling. So it's all, it all goes into the PR spin machine. And as Paul mentioned earlier, the thing about Tom Glavin, and I heard that too, that it's very hard for the players to win that it is the, I think it's gotten better. We talked about that a few weeks ago that it has gotten better and players are mm -hmm. on more firm footing. And I think people are more likely, especially younger baseball fans are more likely to understand their, their plight and understand what uh, plate is probably the wrong word, but to understand, <laughs> so it's not go crazy. Right. Yeah. But to understand their position and why, you know, people should take more care in what's going on with them as opposed to just rooting for the laundry, but, but I like yeah. my laundry. <laughs> yeah. So we, we've made a few references to it already, but uh, basically the, the biggest exception, I guess, to the teams offering uh, 
continued pay and no furloughs for their employees would be the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of California of the West Coast. They're reportedly, quote, aggressively furloughing employees. So not even just kind of making cuts, but they're basically, from reports, cutting their entire scouting and player development team. And with the draft coming up, this is especially sucky timing uh, because these guys have all worked for the past year trying to get ready for a draft. And they're basically being told next week you're not going to have a job and we'll do the draft without you. Uh, that it's kind of caused a, a, quite a bit of backlash across the league. Just for background info, take it for what it's worth. Forbes says the Angels are worth just shy of $2 billion. Artie Moreno himself is worth $3.3 billion. So you can kind of make the argument that he's not exactly one of those hurting for cash, especially considering they're in one of the biggest media markets in the world, right? Yep. Uh, so this is... Uh, by all accounts, really aggressive. And I guess, Brad, I wanted to ask you, what kind of impact does cutting area scouts and that kind of thing have on an organization from the player development and draft standpoint, especially this time of year? Not the impact you'd think. A lot of front offices are actually moving towards cutting significantly when it comes to area scouts anyway and going to having a, a lot of just staff out there who aren't necessarily expected to get the live look, but get video and bring that video back for the internal scouts to look at. Kind of the Astros model there, right? Right. And the Brewers have been going towards this in some way. Uh, the Astros, of course, are most famous for going that way. Teams have been realizing that the day of the area scout is kind of fading, which is sad because there, I think there is a very significant balance between the two. But they they believe that video and the of just widespread availability of significant data. I mean, a high school player can go and throw on a track man before the draft now. It's not that difficult. Uh, you can get spin rate data. You can get studied information without having to have those bodies in the field. So a lot of organizations feel like they can get that information without having someone tell them how square a jaw is. But there are significant things <laughs> that aren't representative money ball that scouts do still bring. There's growth potential. There's development. There's a lot of times where you see a skill set that isn't getting played because that's not how it's being coached. But a major league team believes they can get it out of a player that is missed out on by scouting. But in terms of how organizations view the impact, I think they view it very minimally, especially right before the draft. Those reports and recommendations are filed. They, they have the data. They have it readily available. I imagine uh, for most organizations, I know not all, but I imagine most organizations, it's just a control F, look up a name. This is the guy we want. Some organizations still do where you call the regional scout. The regional scout calls the area scout. The area scout gives the recommendations, and then the regional scout passes it back up in the draft room. Even if you kept scouts around, I still just think that's inefficient anyways. And a lot of teams realize that and just keep a more solid database. Yeah, and I think it's really important to point out here that they have the Angels have sent guys out to do evaluations and the reports are written. But and so that that value is already there. But a big part of the the draft room process and of building a draft board is to have everybody sit down and talk through their draft boards. And if these guys are furloughed, they're not going to do that. Now, if the Angels already did that and then decided, well, we got our value out of these guys, we're furloughing them now, then that's just another level of sleazy 
which I frankly wouldn't surprise me, but the the process of building up a draft board from what I understand, you know, these guys all get together in a room in some sterile hotel-y uh, conference room type situation and they work, you know, 12 to to 16 hours a day building up a draft board, arguing back and forth, discussing every player that they could potentially take even way down low on the on the board. So they're definitely giving something up here if they didn't do that. And if they already did that, then that's just ugh, gross. But baseball isn't being played. And normally what you're looking at is a system where the draft board is still moving at this point because you're looking at the Collegiate World Series. You're looking at the playoff series for a lot of high school baseball teams. And all the scouting is just done right now. So I think that's probably exactly what they did. They probably built these draft boards in April. Well, the thing that, that baseball is, wasn't going to get played. That's true. But the thing that is changing and can move around, and that's where uh, a lot of the action is. Like Keith Law talked about this, that what they're seeing this year is guys are moving up and down based on signability. And that's where the movement is coming. So guys are still moving up and down right now on draft boards because of what the impressions are about signability. Because that but stuff are, still stays fluid. But those are calls that teams can make without having their area regionals make they know where players are in their draft board also it's a small pool of players it's a significantly small pool of players when you're looking at five rounds versus 40 rounds where you can allocate resources to the 150 or so available players that you will take that day and just work off of what that data is on your own it might make sense to to cut in a in a in a vacuum without concern for like people's well-being. Um, it might make sense to cut scouts at this point because, like like Brad said, baseball is not being pay, played. There's not a lot of work for them to do at this moment. Where you get kind of pennywise pound foolish if you're the Angels is you just screwed over a bunch of people who you probably won't be able to hire back, or at least the good ones you won't be able to hire back if you're an organization that is keeping people around, like the Brewers, like. A bunch of others if you are aware of scouts reputations out there um, if you maybe even have some internal metrics on who is it and who's not a good scout and who has good processes behind them you can go poach the angels good ones now maybe they'll hire back some of right. the ones that don't provide so much value when economics pick back up but uh, it is risky to do that across the board when not every team is doing that across the board and maybe they're not in a hiring spot now but you presumably had some institutional knowledge there, some guys you trusted, some guys with relationships in certain areas that you're probably not going to get back. And I'm sure there are teams that will be happy to swipe, you know, the actual, you know, cutting it across the board is almost always a bad idea because there's usually some guys that you might want to keep around. And that is just the sign of an organization that hasn't done its own homework on itself Um, and, and done any value evaluations of, who actually is providing value there. And by the way, if the answer is none of those scouts were providing value, then that's an even larger problem. And maybe those people shouldn't run the team anymore. Uh, And on top of that, I think going back to the Brewers standpoint from what they're doing, taking a few steps back in our conversation, the Brewers have actually gotten a bit of a public ding in the last few years for how they started operating kind of in the Astros style things and getting a little bit of a knock for how they handle their staff on the back end Yeah, for them to come out and say, Hey, we're taking care of all our staff. I think it was uh, death flying things on Twitter. Uh, Nick, he used to run VP Milwaukee. He mentioned that he, he just imagines David Stern's like, let's run all our numbers against all previous seasons and see what actually is right and correct. And using those people and putting them to work and 
keeping them on staff, keeping them busy is something that actually kind of repairs some of the damage that they've been done or that has been done over the last few years because of how they've handled their staff. So now while everyone else is getting knocked for not taking care of everyone, the Brewers can come back and say like, no, we actually sacrifice at the top to take care of you at the bottom. And it will potentially offer them some special benefits further down the road for making that move. And for it the is scouts, a PR play. yeah, it is a PR play. And for the scouts themselves, it's, you know, a huge, huge deal because scouts are not fabulously well paid. I don't know if people realize, you know, <laughs> no, they're, they're not. That's the other part of this. Too, they're really not. They're, they're cutting positions that are paying forty, fifty thousand $50,000 a year just to save basically pennies on the owner's bottom line. And actually, when we talked to Longenhagen, his book actually gets a lot into like what the current scouting situation looks like and how they are cutting down on those area scouts. But then when the keep area scouts, they used to give like these huge stipends so you could actually live like comfortably while you were on the road, because these guys are generally traveling a 10 state area in most cases. But now, like they're traveling a 10 state area and expected to like become a points member at a Motel 6 versus some more well-regarded establishments that will t- make them more comfortable in the long run. So, yeah, they really, their cost to an organization has gone down significantly in the last couple of years. There goes uh, that deal it? I was working out with Motel 6 for sponsorship. Uh, Sorry. Uh, hey, I can't leave my lights on. <laughs> I am in a budget crunch. And I that is an energy bill I can't pay, Ryan. So, no, I don't want to be a part of it. Kind of going back to the Angels situation, it is definitely a bad PR situation. And, you know, like the Brewer, like you guys are saying, the Brewers putting this out there is kind of good PR. I saw some sentiment that, you know, while this may not necessarily hurt the Angels draft this year, from what Brad was saying, it might impact maybe some of the undrafted free agent negotiations. Like somebody likened it to, the NFL draft where a lot of those undrafted free agents are signed based on, you know, coach relationships and that kind of thing. I think it was Jeff Passan who was saying, you know, the scenario that might play out is the angels might be in competition with a couple of other guys to sign somebody. And they're suddenly the, the other agents or, you know, the advisors might say, look at what the angels just did to their employees. Do you want to go somewhere that treats their people like that? You know, so it's not even just the, the, scouting or the baseball staff but it might affect player acquisition down the line if you're a scout looking for work later and you choose between the angels and some but the brewers you know why would you go to the angels when you could go to somewhere that's proven to be a good place to work uh so i think that's all factoring in too speaking of that i don't think i've seen a new agreement come aboard but as we celebrate teams who have made the right thing i believe that the minor league pay deal is expected to expire still on may 31st and MLB teams are going to stop paying the measly $400 a week that they've been paying to their minor leaguers. So we should also lambast them for that right now because uh, screw that. It's $400 a week. Well, and let's be clear that there are players who have stepped up. uh, Sinju Chu in Texas is giving money to every player from his contract is giving money to every player in the Texas Rangers farm system. Like and, and players are stepping up to is, help. He shouldn't have to do. Oh no, he shouldn't have to do that at all. But like <laughs> nope. he is doing that, and like things like that should work to. You know, we saw this right at the beginning of all this when NBA stars like 
Giannis and I think Kevin Love was like the first stepped up mm-hmm. and said, hey, we were going to help pay uh, for uh, uh, daily employees at the, at the stadiums, right at the at the arenas. Right. And then we had a baseball side of it. Yelich and I think Braun both agreed to help in Milwaukee. OK, yeah. So so the players have been stepping up to do those things. And mm-hmm. it, like in some cases, the owners kind of had to be shamed into it. Why should employees take care of other employees when the <laughs> owner can foot the bill, right? So pay teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> You're basically making free money out of them. Pay your teenagers. Damn it. Right. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, I guess, uh, which other teams kind of uh, maybe take the Brewers route and guarantee salaries for the entire year, which ones are going to continue to go month by month. Uh, and which ones will be publicly shamed like the angels are kind of shifting gears. Now we got a couple Patreon questions this week to get to. And as promised, we are now turning into a Bundesliga podcast until baseball comes back. Oh, good. <laughs> Paul is ecstatic about this. Hey, I've got Ryan Cole and Dusseldorf questions. on right now. I'm watching Cole and Dusseldorf <laughs> nodded at, course, at zero zero in the 27th you, minute. You could be making something up. And I wouldn't know. This could be a joke. You could be talking about watching two pints of ice cream melt on your counter right now. And I would have no idea. I'm opening the table right now just so I can pick somebody to say here. (laughs) Yeah. So our first question from Adam Post. Which Bundesliga teams have each of us decided to root for? Ryan, go ahead, because I'm sure you're the only one who has actually picked the team. <laughs> well, so there is there's kind of a longstanding affinity between my my English Premier League team that I root for is Liverpool and um, Borussia Dortmund. They 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 have a lot in common. The current Liverpool manager, <laughs> thank you. Uh, the current uh, manager of Liverpool came from Borussia Dortmund. Uh, they have they have kind of a longstanding relationship. So that's there's a natural affinity there. They have the same theme song. So there's all, there's all, there's all that. But uh, I've been watching, finding myself watching a lot of Red Bull Leipzig because there is a player on Red Bull who is everybody knows he wants to go to Liverpool. And it's a question of money and figuring all that stuff out over the summer of weirdness that we're we're heading into. And so Timo Warner has gotten a lot of my attention and he had a hat trick today. I I caught the end of the game and watched him uh, have a hat trick. So that was pretty awesome. I think right. okay. for me, it's, uh, you know, I have a big West Ham fan. Uh, I'm a Green Street hooligan. I'm West until I die. Um, and when I look at the affiliation with the Bundesliga, I really like the Kirschkanagen um, of the <laughs> Dusseldorf region of Germany. And I've been watching a Yada, Yassi Duncan, who has uh, a lot of ties to West Ham. Who I really appreciate. You know, uh, he he's a little young and raw, but uh, he really wants to come over to the European League and the Premier League where everyone's thrives. But he has a lot of country pride from. And that's why Dusseldorf with uh, the team he's on, the 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 Rainbow Giants has been really <laughs> the team that I support. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was waiting for Storito to work its way in there, but I guess that's Paul's. Oh yeah, I forgot about my fake soccer team. <laughs> I don't know, Paul. Any any picks here? Who uh, are you rooting for? I miss Storito, but I don't miss coming up with fake soccer games on the fly. <laughs> I do like that Borussia actually means Bavaria, um, which is uh, 
good thing to know if you're looking for a team to root for. But uh, I, the only ones I know are Bayern Munich and, and Dortmund from Champions League play. I don't pay attention to the Bundesliga. I don't plan on starting. I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, 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 I can't stay up all hours to get up super early for this kind of thing anymore. So uh, I guess uh, just looking at the table right now and picking names, uh, I, I'm inclined to get... So not RB uh, Leipzig because RBs don't matter. Um, and let's see. Uh, I guess I, I guess I guess Munken Gladbach is where I'd go with because it sounds vague, uh, it sounds vaguely um, Irish um, even though it's not. So I'll go I'll go with that. It does kind of sound like a Scotch, actually, doesn't it? Yeah. Like you could see Gladbach being. It's like a, it's like Gaelic, like that. I mean, it's not. It's German. It's not, just in case anybody gets mad. An it's in obviously there. German. However, it sounds vaguely Gaelic if you don't know it's German. So I'm I'm down with that just for that reason. Yeah, I you know I know even less about the soccer than all of you, so I was just gonna go the route my baby sister always did, uh, filling out NCA brackets and just pick the cool names. Uh, so I was I was looking at Mangen Gladbach too, but you know, Eintracht Frankfurt looks looks fun. Oh, um, but they're not fun to watch. You you don't want to no. go down that road. <laughs> okay, they then, have gotten worked. You know, there's there's uh, Leverkusen. Is that is that right? Bayern Leverkusen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We might go there. SC Freiburg, you know, sounds like a standard soccer team name. So I don't know. I, I, I was hoping there'd be more like giant 15 letter all consonant German names in there. But I, I'm glad they kept it short for the marketability. <laughs> I my knowledge of soccer past the World Cup is wing passes the guard. Guard passes the center. Center holds it, holds it, holds it. <laughs> that is that's the it. extent uh, <laughs> Simpsons reference. There oh, we yeah. go. Are you ready for some soccer? <laughs> the flaming soccer ball. Yeah. <laughs> you love that. And ties. <laughs> uh, our second Bundesliga question. We've oh, got goodness. two again. Uh, PJ Wessels asking, who do you pick between Erling Holland, uh, Jaden Sancho or Gia Reyna, Ryan? I'm going to go with the the American Geo is is interesting and an important part of like potentially the U.S. team getting back into the World Cup and being good at some point down the future. So I'll go with that. Erling Holland is fun to watch. Uh, he's also done some un- distasteful things. So uh, not great. Jaden Sancho he's is got a, a name that sounds like he does distasteful things. Yeah. Erling Holland sounds like a Bond villain. Yeah, he and he's like a, you know, a big Viking looking guy like he's, you know. He's, I think he's sure. Swedish. So, okay. um, but Jane Sancho is an up and coming superstar in the world of of uh, football. <laughs> so, like, he's awesome and is going to end up on some really big team for a lot of money. Cool. I'll go with I'll go with Gio Reyna because I just googled and he is Claudio Reyna's kid and I know who that is. So, um, I will I'll pick that. <laughs> we were talking right. about that well, before you jumped in, I, Paul. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I think many Americans, with regard to other countries and um, freedom, that's a 2007 joke. That is a 13 year old joke. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about. I don't Bad know. Life. Are all these right. people? Is this a prank? It, it could, it could all be facts. We were testing you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so PJ does have a baseball question before hey, we hey, uh, hey. before Ooh. we lose our entire listenership and lose all the Patreon sponsors. PJ is also asking uh, if no baseball season gets played, which one year plus option year player would you most be disappointed to miss? <laughs> I'll go for it. 
Oh no, I don't want to start on this one because I don't know. Um, I hate all of them, right? That's my <laughs> yeah. You you were yeah. You weren't really fit. I believe I, your opinion on all of those were like fine because they all suck anyway. And right. Bad, like so. I'm not gonna. So first of all, um, definitely but, not Justin Smoke. Not I think Justin I've gathered Smoke, that much. Not Logan Morrison. Jed like, Jerko. I, I guess maybe. Uh, <laughs> there's so no. My my official answer is none. I. The best part of the DH is that none of the garbage players that they have signed will have to play as much. And so my answer is um, that that is the answer that I am looking forward to to missing all of them playing. Um, <laughs> you got it wrong, Paul. Swing okay. and miss. There's one correct answer. All right. One singular correct answer, and it's Brock Holt. Oh, yeah. He's probably the only ball. player who is actually... He might actually be good, so I, yeah, I agree. He's going to be a utility piece. He is a good left-handed bat. He's on a, a one-year plus an option. He is a fine signing. Yeah, the answer the is rest, You're right. The rest, it would have been an interesting experiment I looked forward to watching for not more than a year. Oh, I, I'm <laughs> totally on Team Smoke. I think that he's actually going to be somewhat good. <laughs> no, smoke monster. Bad. Yeah, the smoke monster. Bring me, bring me the smoke monster. He 25 home runs at Miller Park. Look, Gary. his his numbers last year were way lower than they had any reason to be. So he is was due for a solid bounce back this year and could have potentially been pretty good. So I it I'm still. Could be, obviously. So we'll see how that. Yeah, I, I haven't somewhere between it. you and Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like, smoke is a fine addition for someone who needs to sometimes play first base. <laughs> hey, he, he, it's not his fault he got screwed by Babip, right? So, James, are you about to be a Brett Anderson be, fan? His fault. Oh, but Brett Anderson doesn't um, have a. Uh, Brett Anderson. Brett Anderson doesn't have one, an option. One plus though. one? Yeah, yeah, he wasn't. He's the one who didn't get the plus one. Uh, oh, he didn't get the plus one? No, nope. he did not. He's just a one. He's just a one. <laughs> and well, also, you shouldn't be excited about Brett Anderson anyway. So. Oh, Brett yeah, Anderson no. has no plus one. He keeps getting hurt in my OTP uh, play along for yeah, the PCB. Literally what? every start, he's gotten what? hurt. I, the guy I, who's been pulling on the- card is he's the modern Ben Sheets is getting hurt. Like it, it, the modern Ben Sheets, but his stuff doesn't play anymore because the Ben Sheets type player doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I mean, Ben Sheets was actually really good. Brett Anderson has only been kind of okay at times. And, Ander- yeah. and Ben Sheets also, Ben Sheets, I will defend Ben Sheets to the death. Ben Sheets pitched over <laughs> 600 innings from 2005 to 2008. Like people think he was always hurt. Like he pitched teams. over 600 innings from mm-hmm. 2005 to 2008, four seasons. Yeah. I, that was a little bit more Ben Sheets trash than uh, is deserved because everyone knows I love Ben Sheets um, <laughs> very dearly. He is the jersey that I will still regularly rock of all the like 2000s players. But I think Brett Anderson was still pretty good early in his career. And then all he did was fall apart over and over and over and over and over again. And that's why I compare the two. The only difference is Ben Sheets was like, crap, I can't keep doing this. Brett Anderson was like, well, what's another year? Hey, yeah. people are going to pay you money. Keep going. Uh, hey, David Phelps was a one plus one. Oh, wow. A, could be a decent oh, yeah. bullpen yeah. piece. Yeah, uh, sure. I, I actually, I mean, we're, we're thrilled with all of these. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, you're with uh, Smoke. Oh, Sogard. Maybe mm-hmm. Sogard. I don't I mean, know. I knew Sogard was on there, but I think Sogard is more 2018 Sogard than 2019 Sogard. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's going to, and he was going to end up playing a bunch anyway. Uh, probably more than anybody was willing to see him play. 
Yep. No offense, Sadie. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think he might have been one. Who knows? Yeah, Maybe I like him. Bale. I like him as like the modern Craig Council. If he's going to be a utility player who sure. sometimes <laughs> comes up in important situations and otherwise can just be like this fun character that we all kind of fall in love sure. with. I sure. like that Eric Sogard. If, if he Kesson is, is DHing, you can stick Sogard at second. I don't care. That's fine. Yeah, you know, yeah that's never, fine. You spend sure. time with him at Luis Sirius at second and then move Orlando Arcia out as needed. That That is fine. But if he is a predominant part of playing third base, burn it down. Burn your plan down. <laughs> Just burn it. It shouldn't be there. Well, that was Ryan Healy, right? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so bad. Moving on, we we did get a ton of Twitter questions too, so we'll try to jump through a lot of these. So Keith is asking. Uh, so we had the Bundesliga section. We've got the KBO section of the show right now. Uh, any chance stadiums, major league stadiums, would do what the KBO is doing and allow people to put likenesses in the seats? Have you guys seen this? Oh yeah, yeah. I think we brought it up last week. That's um, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe um, I, I doubt they will because. It's fun and creative and kind of weird. And but (laughs) those uh, are three things we don't associate with Rob Manfred. Yeah, it's also easy. And so maybe (laughs) it's also money. They're in Germany, they're doing it and they're charging people 20 bucks. Just gonna say, yeah, pay 20 bucks to have your face behind home plate. Would you do it? Major League Baseball isn't fun and doesn't know how to market. So, no, never. (laughs) I love Major League Baseball, but in terms of the organization and how it does things, it's like, eh, new, Mm -hmm. scary, no, leave. Oh, (laughs) no, 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 no. You're completely missing on this. Is there any chance it will happen? There's no chance it won't happen. If they can make money off of it, this will 100% happen. Like what are you talking? They are awful at marketing themselves. They don't even know how no. to market their fun players. They don't understand how to take advantage of making money. Right, but they this is this is money, just a way to, this is just a way to cash a check. Like oh, literally they oh, just before take before the, the end of the season, you think that there will be a cardboard cutout of front row Amy behind home plate. Yes, that is 100% going to happen. Okay. <laughs> there will be there will be a cardboard cutout of me behind home plate, probably one of Steve's bad pictures of me that will end up there because 100% oh, if, because Steve will oh pay the $20 for the Steve, bad picture. Steve will pay rolling. the $100. What if he can get it on the field and it's you rolling in a ditch? Yep. If they can get <laughs> if they can get the uh you like pay more to be more prominently uh, featured in the broadcast. He will pay the extra money to do that just to have me back there behind every game. <laughs> like he will, he will do that 100%. I mean, I agree that MLB is a bunch of money grubbers who want every dollar they can get, but they also don't know how to have fun. Like I, I just, yeah. All right. We'll see. We'll see. I guess we'll see. We're, we're yeah. split on this. We should make a bet. Um, <laughs> new prop bets. We're going to need new prop bets anyway. We'll yeah. do. <laughs> it, it, over, under, yeah, I don't know. Another KBO question. Brew Crew fan in California uh, asking, favorite KBO team right now? I think this Lottie. might be a little bit easier than uh, the Bundesliga teams. Lottie right, Giants because of Sung Min Kim. Yeah, that's a good connection for sure. Uh, Dinos for me. Yep, yeah. Dinos for me. Great train that they are. I was going to say, yeah, NC Dinos. It's it's that uh, Eric Thames connection. Anybody who can make a home run song for Eric Thames yep. is good in my book. So They asked I, him on I, the I broadcast really last night on, uh, what would that be, Saturday night into Sunday morning. They asked him to sing his home run song, 
and he kind of hummed it. <laughs> like you were, on, <laughs> you were on the Korean version of uh, uh, the Masked Singer. Like Masked singer, sing yeah. it, yeah. like do it, man, do it. Yeah, he talked about how there's like an accent to that that our American accents cannot correctly pronounce the words, and like he uh, can never actually talk to like cabbies because they'd be like, "Where do you want to go?" and he'd be like, "I learned Korean, I can say this," and they're like, "What the hell are you trying to say?" <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that is why he was like, I, I can't sing this because it won't be the right words. Yep. Accents are important. So, yeah, I, I can't even remember the word. I just know it starts with Eric and then it goes. Da, 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 da. I know the I American know. words. Yeah. Eric Thames crushed that ball. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Another Twitter question from Keith. I think it's kind of more of a hypothetical uh, because it doesn't sound like games will have fans when they start back up. But if games do start July 4th weekend, kind of assuming, uh, you know, they won't let people in. But uh, wondering, do you think uh, Miller Park folks are prepared for people to try to get in the tail parking lot to tailgate anyway, uh, especially 4th of July weekend? Yeah, they're definitely going to be prepared for that and not allow it to happen. I, I don't think. Now, we have Even seen, in small groups, you think? Yeah, uh, I don't think they will because it's so hard to control. And they really don't, I think it's a PR thing. Now, there are a lot of places that are, you know, opening up their their analogous things to tailgating. And, you know, there's, I'll say, there's at least some evidence that large outdoor gatherings are at less risk than than indoor small space gatherings. But I, I don't see that happening. I think that they want to keep fans safe in a way as much as they can and just make sure there's no added risk to players to... Yeah, you know the last thing you want is a story of like uh, this super spreader at a tailgate in Milwaukee infected you know 500 people. Like, can't have that. So I, I think they'll have that. I think they'll have everything closed down, and you will not be able to tailgate at the park. And as much as we have the evidence that outdoor gatherings can be a little safer when it comes to spread of the germs, there's also evidence that shared food lines are actually very dangerous when it comes to sharing bacteria and viruses. So it like almost counteracts it each other. Well, I think this is just contemplating people tailgating, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Well, if you're tailgating, you like put the brats out, you put the buns out. If like people are reaching in to grab the buns and something's oh, yeah. contaminated, True. boom, like that undoes the safety of being outdoors. Yeah. Uh, that the minor safety that is provided by that. Miller Park is already pretty good at keeping you out of the parking lot when they don't want you in the parking lot. I don't think this will be too difficult. I absolutely think it will be implemented. And other stadiums don't necessarily have the parking luxury that Miller Park has anyway. I know there is like open parking garages for when you go to San Francisco Giants games that are very easy to cut off. I know like the few areas that I've experienced, like they tend to just have parking garages near the stadium because tailgating isn't as much of a thing globally as it is here. I think the teams that have that opportunity are probably as good at the Brewers as already blocking it off. It will be blocked off because exactly like Paul said, they don't want to deal with it. Yeah. All they have to do is station, you know, half a dozen cops around. And as soon as somebody tries to get in there, they go over and they say, get lost, leave. You're on private property, whatever. Like you can't be here. And there won't it just the people won't build up. Yeah, I tend to agree. That's probably what will happen. Although hypothetically, if they wanted to make money, even small amounts, maybe, you know, you square off little socially distant areas in the parking lot. You charge crazy amounts of money for admission and say, you know, no more than five, ten people or whatever. I think there's a way to do it. I don't I could... think it's smart, <laughs> but I think there's a way they could do it. 
and you know, kind of make a little cash on the side. I, I could I mean, see it on. happening towards like the end of the year once, sure. like as like fear continues declining, as everyone's outside, and as Paul said, there's evidence that the virus doesn't spread as well outdoors as it does inside. I think as we continue to like kind of lessen our fear about it as yeah. the state opened, everyone stopped already being afraid of it. We saw backups heading up north for Memorial Day. I think as you get further, there's a possibility that it could. Uh, become more of a thing but then it'll also be getting colder and closer to the time when it's going to become a problem again so we'll see how that results yeah i guess maybe that's a good point maybe more labor day than fourth of july i don't know we'll see no mlb Uh, team wants to go viral in the way that you know wisconsin bars (laughs) or whatever go viral yeah yeah Yeah. the worst kind yeah so nobody wants that yeah another twitter question from old friend kurt hogg uh, hypothetical, how many war would Nori Aoki be worth in a 2020 platoon with Avi Garcia? Ooh, dibs on this. <laughs> Go. Okay, so, um, Kurt, Nori has no platoon split. In fact, he's slightly Ooh. he is slightly backwards. That's um, right, he was. So, um, he is actually slightly better than uh, Garcia against righties, but not, like, it's like 10 points of OPS, and um, it really just is a question of whether you want power on base percentage. So, I mean, the answer to this is something like like 2.5, which is just what you get by playing them at random intervals against random pitchers. For, like first year Nori, um, I assume, oh, by the way, I assume we're doing prime because Nori Aoki is 38 right now. And the answer, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the answer would just yeah. be whatever Garcia's is in that case. But uh, uh, Nori in his first year at the Brewers was 2.7. Garcia was 2.1 last year, as high as 4.5, just on BREF, which I was able to sort quickly. But like, there's not that's not a good platoon split fit because just because Aoki's a weird player with the all the guys with the softball style, um, you know, all field slap hitter, uh, they almost never have platoon splits. So Nori has never been a good platoon split guy. He's, I mean, he's a perfectly fine like regular outfielder to be honest, or was in his prime. So it, the answer is whatever Garcia or Aoki would be alone. That's the answer because they add nothing to each other. <laughs> I feel like this is a question that is a joke I don't get. So I'm yeah. just going to leave Paul's answer there and say, there you go. That's the answer. <laughs> I was going to respond with, and Paul kind of took the glory out of it. He's 38. He isn't playing. Also, he's behind Kane and Yelich. So he is playing. And also, he's behind Ryan Braun. So he isn't playing. Oh, come on. I love Nori, though. He was like one of my favorite brewers from that era. Oh, yeah. I remember his inside the Totally Parker. underrated. Like, he was legitimately was very good for a year or two. Like, yep. that, his, that was wasn't great. his first homer in Inside the Parker, right? It was his first home run. It didn't go over the wall. I just remember always wanting the bobblehead that had the leg kick. Like that was a that was a great bobblehead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I remember. I wish there was. There, I wish there was more of that hitting style. Uh, I mean, it's basically him and Ichiro over here anyway. And yeah. like, it's so fun to watch, uh, and it's so cool to see that kind of back control and that ability to like actually place major league pitching sort of where you want to. It it actually seems harder than just hitting home runs uh, to some extent. It, so I, I miss him for that reason. So as I mentioned in previous uh, podcasts, I went to the 2007 MLB All-Star Game in San Francisco. And like I was standing room only, so we got in the second gates open. That meant we got to see all the batting practice from all the players. It, no one crushed more bombs than Ichiro. No, that's the, that's ah, the legend of see, Ichiro. That's the urban legend? That's the legend Ichiro, of Ichiro, Ichiro right? Yeah. yeah. He, he put so many in the bay. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Like 
that's that's always been the thing. If he could have been a power hitter and chose not to, he's actually choosing to like be suboptimal, and that's yes, that's kinda, correct. It's kind of sad, like, <laughs> but it's also it also like just adds, adds to the to legend. legend so great. yeah. One of those things where I like had heard it, but I didn't believe it. Then when we were watching it, it like I he hit so many more than all the other power. Like even Prince wasn't getting them out like that. That's insane. That's so insanity. I mean, uh, if that's true, more power. I mean, less power to him actually. But um, <laughs> that was also the legend of Wade Boggs back in the '80s, which was that he could hit more home runs than if he wanted to, but he preferred to be this kind of hitter. So I never believed it for that reason because it seemed like just a thing people said about high average hitters, but. I, don't know. I I I would love an alternate universe Ichiro that hit like forty five home runs a year. I want I want to yeah. see that, what that looks like. Well, I mean, Boggs I, I was very that... like Joey Votto in that he could control the bat and like never popped the ball up. Like there was something about he never had a fly out to third base or something. Like not in his entire career, never had one. Like it was is something really bizarre. So right. I wonder if there is something to game power versus. Uh, like he knew he couldn't get his game power to sure. his, his batting practice power yeah. uh, and would jeopardize so much of his bat control in order to try to do that. But when it came to hitting 60 mile per hour lobs from the 80 year old or 60 year old pitching coach, it wasn't a problem. Maybe that's Corey Ray's problem. He just, he, he, the game power doesn't <laughs> translate, I guess, but I don't know. Uh, that's a whole hour <laughs> episode tune into the next the minor league extra podcast for what's wrong with Corey ray yeah <laughs> exactly another twitter question from chris kroninger uh he says he's in his 40s and generally healthy are you confident that he will see a world championship in his lifetime i'm in my 30 early 30s and generally healthy and i'm not confident i'll see a world championship <laughs> in my lifetime uh, i really hope i do but so, yeah, I mean, just mathematically speaking, the answer is no, because <laughs> it's the, been 50 and well, 51, according to Brad's count and no World Series titles. So, yeah, yeah 51. <laughs> it's just that like there's there's 32 Major League Baseball teams uh, and they're, you know, it's not a your odds of winning one aren't one divided by the number of teams because you root for a small market team. The odds are higher that the Dodgers or Yankees or Cubs or uh, it seems weird to say the Cubs now, but it's true. Or, you know, the Red Sox or a bunch of high money teams are going to win it. They have a higher chance than the Brewers. I mean, in fact, the Brewers, because of their market size and a lot of things, have one of the smaller chances of winning it on any given season. So, no, nope, uh, you're uh, you might. Uh, it's possible, but you're, you're not super likely to. So, um, hey, sorry, old guy. There's 30 teams. 30 teams. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we get for bringing the NFL guy to a baseball podcast. Yeah, he yeah. says as Paul's been smarter than him. 30-ish teams, uh, whatever. The last 30 20 years. episodes. <laughs> so <laughs> the next CBA, there might be 32. Anyway. I mean, the thing the Brewers <laughs> have the thing the Brewers have going for them is a market that supports the team and fans that do support the team. So that kind of mitigates a little bit of the small marketness of it. Like they have that going for them. They also at least currently have an owner who does seem to care about winning. Like Mark Atanasio does care about winning to a level that not all owners care about winning. Like, let's just be honest. Not all owners care as much as he does. Now he's not necessarily cares enough to like go into huge debt and lose, but that wasn't even a guarantee for a world series championship with the, with the tigers. When Mike Illich basically said, I'm just, you know, I want to do this before I die. Baseball is too random 
to to be able to to say things like this. But yeah, the Brewers do have a handicap in being in a smaller market, so that does handicap their chances. But it's also once you get into the postseason, any random ass thing can happen. So that kind of also cuts the other way. And the Brewers have been decent at at being managed under the the regime of Mark Antanasio. So well, yeah. when the when the playoffs are sixteen teams. I think the odds go exponentially up that the Brewers could win because unlike the NBA, uh, it is a anyone can win any series sport. Right. And mm-hmm. when you're looking at it, intelligent management and how we've seen it impact games where you can be more aggressive with the pieces that you have, uh, we know that it actually opens the realm of possibility. So I think when that becomes an inevitable reality, because as much as I don't want it to be our reality, I think that is kind of, going to be railroaded in i think that opens the door significantly also i think expansion teams probably do help the brewers because the talent will possibly be more evenly divided amongst the teams which makes it a little less punishing i think to be in a market where signing five big players is as detrimental maybe not in the regular season but in the playoffs it's less detrimental yeah so I, I go between sc- two schools of thought, right? One, anything random can happen because hell, the Florida Marlins have two World Series titles. <laughs> two? <laughs> they do, but they also oh. jumped in stupid amount of money into getting both of them and it happened to work they out. Did. They did. But also randomness, you know, like they had no business beating the Cubs. And True. They did, and there you go. My other school of thought, though, and this is where I differ from a lot of Brewers Twitter and just kind of eventually tune out when the team's not doing well, is your life is a lot better and you're a lot happier once you accept the fact the Milwaukee Brewers are never winning a World Series championship. (laughs) (laughs) It allows you you to enjoy when they're good and it doesn't ruin your life when they're bad. It's about the journey, people. Exactly. I'm much more, uh, I'm not a rings are everything kind of guy. So that's just me. I know plenty of other fans are like 29 other teams fail every year kind of thing. That to me speaks to a pretty miserable existence, but you do you. That's fine. Uh, I just generally, yes, enjoy the journey. I like watching baseball. I really like watching baseball when my favorite team does well. I'm not by any means expecting them to ever win a World Series. James tapped into how I've kept my existence happy. If you never have expectations, anything you achieve is an exactly. achievement, or anything you do is an achievement. Listen, um, if, I, guys, if I never set expectations, you guys all, I just can't suffer crushing You need to watch Dodgeball and listen to Lance Armstrong's yeah. sage lesson. <laughs> what What is his sage lesson? Uh, he just ridicules exactly what you guys just said, that, oh, I guess if you don't care anything, you can never be heard. <laughs> yeah, well, that is Vince Vaughn's like thing. I think he says, "I just don't have expectations, and yeah. that way I can never be disappointed." But you know, I am not a guy about to win a million dollar dodgeball competition. I'm a I'm a thirty year old Wisconsinite who uh, has obsessed with a minor league farm system. Very few other people are obsessed with. Yeah. So, I mean, perspective, Paul. Understood. Can I just quickly say that the. All the financial discussions in dodgeball about the value of uh, Globo Gym and the ability to purchase it, and the fact that a four million dollar company would be publicly traded, are the are the worst things about that movie. Even though it's a stupid movie, just to, <laughs> intended to make you laugh. It bothers me every time. 
but you, you know they were like writing know, that script and they looked and they're like does anyone know business sales no and they're like just write numbers no i think they I, I think it was more purposeful than that it was there's a bunch of people that are gonna get pissed off about this even though we we know perfectly well what we're doing and you shouldn't care that much about it it's just a <laughs> hand wave of a thing <laughs> all right ryan did we get your answer did you say i forget yeah, you yeah. Said, we we got into the the dodgeball train of thought, and <laughs> yeah, no, we're we're good. Think of is you made me bleed my own blood. No, I'm I'm ready for this next so. question. I've actually done some research, so okay. Oh, uh, oh okay. I, I got I did some research on this too. So oh boy, <laughs> actual oh. research. This is okay. I'll set this up. Uh, this is what we call a tease in the biz. This is by far the potentially the most uh, divisive question we've got today. So Sam is asking. In the vein of, is a hot dog a sandwich? Is a Pop-Tart a ravioli? So, Ryan, you can go first. So, yeah. I mean, this is really very simple. Uh, the definition of a ravioli is a ravioli are a type of pasta, and I'm not even going to finish it because Pop-Tarts aren't pasta. So, no, they are not. Like, who's okay. flat so, out? Hold on, hold on. You have to get more granular than this because there's more <laughs> to it than that. Because um, pasta is actually essentially a pastry. It is a pastry that you boil, but it is a pastry. Now, here's the thing. The answer is still no, because you don't boil Pop-Tarts. I mean, maybe you do, but you're a psycho if you do that. Um, and it doesn't cause it to become you know, a, a ravioli because you boil a Pop-Tart. So, no, it's not. It, it's a pastry. It, it's a bad example of like a lemonade pastry. But there's more to it than this that we have to discuss, which is um, because of the fact that a Pop-Tart is not ravioli because you don't boil it, what we can also conclude is that St. Louis style ravioli is a pop tart. Um, <laughs> because if you've never had it, St. Louis style ravioli is toasted. Um, it is not. It is not boiled. Um, it is like a bar snack. And since it's not boiled, it's not pasta, and therefore is a pop tart. Um, so, well, the answer to your question is uh, a pop tart is not ravioli, but St. Louis style ravioli is a pop tart. Boom, lawyered, Brad. This is why people hate Twitter. This is it. This is why people who aren't on Twitter hate Twitter. This is why we get judged every time we're like, we're on Twitter. And people are like, oh, I can't get into Twitter because there's a bunch of maniacs asking me if a hot dog's a sandwich or if a Pop-Tart's a ravioli. Food can just be food and it's already identified. We don't need to continue grouping it. They've been grouped for hundreds of years. We can just stop. <laughs> wow. So with that in mind, is a Pop-Tart a ravioli, Brad? <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> literally got up and laughed i mean the science of classification goes back a very long time and has been very instrumental <laughs> into the development of evolutionary physiology biology across the board uh, we really do need to keep these classifications going that brad We've just about that. lawyers talking classifications and dictionary definitions from ryan i feel like this this is definitely peak twitter brad's right and he's still gone so <laughs> <laughs> he did lose leave yes <laughs> I, I can see the argument. Is a ravioli just something with something inside? Then are sandwiches raviolis? I don't know. I mean, no. <laughs> Stop not. validating it. Stop <laughs> validating it. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm very much the pragmatic type. I, I have to look at both sides and weigh the pros and cons. And this is why Jeez, I don't get anything I want you to done. tear up your journalism degree. I want you to tear it up, burn it, and stop thinking about both sides. Instead... Just leave some questions alone. <laughs> the ravioli question is one that should remain unanswered. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> one bridge too far. 
All right. Uh, Field Jurassic Park. The scientists never considered whether they should or not. Yeah. Okay. That in mind, if you haven't already and you want more riveting discussions and rants on whether Pop-Tarts or raviolis, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, anywhere else you get your podcasts. While you're there, please do leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And again, a reminder, you can help support the podcast by becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash tailgate, and you'll get priority when we send out a call for questions. And yes, you can ask any kind of food-related questions, too. That's a perk of being a patron. Uh, and you also get a shout-out when you do sign up. No new patrons this week, but Ryan does you know, give those shout-outs when we do get them. So by all means, sign up. Go to patreon.com slash tailgate and check it out. As we mentioned before, you get the Minor League Extra podcast. You get Paul's Packer reporting as eligible mini pods, all that good deal. Even if you don't go to Patreon, you can follow all of us on Twitter for our food opinions. Ryan is at RD Top. <laughs> Paul is at Badger Noonan. Brad is at Brew Crew Blue. And I'm at James L. Until next time, stay well, guys. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Hey.